DJ and PK, we're joined now by Matt Harms, new BYU basketball big man, transferring in from Purdue. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. You can visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Matt, good morning. Good morning. So, Matt, you drove through Utah, but you didn't stop. (laughs) Where were you going? Where were you headed? And did you have any idea that you were going to be back? Right. Um, well, it was a it was a trip to uh, uh, an AAU tournament in uh, Las Vegas. My AAU team was from Colorado. That's the only re- uh, time I've ever gone through Utah. Um, but it's it was definitely a beautiful place driving through it. So the way the situation was set up, Matt, you were probably going to commit to the school that maybe there was a chance that you had never been on that campus. So you accepted that. Yeah, uh, that was definitely something I, I accepted about it. You know, it's I was I've been saying to everybody it's asking me about you know how did you make this decision even though you you never were able to be there. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm a guy that's only going to be there for a year. Uh, I truly feel bad for the guys that uh, you know are looking for a four or five year destination uh, and really having to make that decision about a long chapter of their life. But thankfully, uh, all the information that I thought was necessary, uh, I was able to get over the phone. BYU coach Mark Pope said the phone call with you, he said it went into uh, a lot of analytics on your game, and there were some numbers and some trends in your game that you weren't aware of, but you were very open to uh, learning about. And he said talking analytics can be boring in the best of times, but on a, uh, a Zoom or a Skype, it's especially hideous. But he said you stayed dialed in anyway. What did he tell you about your game that you didn't know that you found interesting? I mean, it's just extremely interesting to you know see all those numbers. You know, the the way he started, it was like you know all these numbers that we're looking at, all these advanced statistics are what you're being evaluated on. You know, uh, if an NBA scout comes and comes and looks at you, they're not just doing the old eye test. You know, like they did 40 years ago. Uh, now they're looking at advanced numbers, advanced analytics, and those are the things he showed me. You know, like he's like, these are the numbers you're going to be evaluated on, and this is how we're going to improve them. You know, he showed me some things that I could be improving on, some things that I'm currently lacking in, uh, and he can't. He had a plan right away. You know, just like, hey, this is how we're going to get this to a number where it's um, almost popping off the page. You know, where a, a scout is looking at it like, wow, you know, we got to get this guy. <laughs> Well said, Matt. I appreciate that. Uh, how much did you just make a connection with Mark Pope? Because he seems to have a very enthusiastic and infectious personality. Oh, yeah, that was a, a huge part of it for sure. You know, getting on the phone with him for the first time was just just energy that I wasn't that I'm not used to seeing. You know, from a head coach, he was just going crazy. You know, he was super excited to be able to talk to me. You know, as I was excited to talk to him, of course. But you know, he just had this energy, this nonstop, relentless energy. Um, that every time I was on the phone with him, you know, like you just want to continue talking to him because you just want to, you know, get to know him more because he's such an awesome personality. And you know, that was the decision in the end. You know, it was just I wouldn't want to miss out on that that was just every time i was thinking about it i was like i can't miss out on playing for coach pope the newest cougar purdue transfer matt harms join us here on 97.5 and 1280 the zone so because we have no games to watch there's plenty of time for us all to watch you know clips of you on youtube and i saw some stuff in the minnesota game uh you get the ball and you put it on the floor with your left hand and you go around your guy you were almost i think you were on the three-point line kind of a little off the right, but you end up going down the left side of the lane. So you kind of change direction a little bit with the ball and go and lay it in. And with that level of skill, I was thinking, 
Wow, I wonder if he was a smaller player and had a big growth spurt. Did you start playing in the uh, in elementary school, and were you a guard for a while, or is this something you just worked on, even though you were always one of the taller guys? No, I'm just going to credit credit this to the Euro- European School of Skill Development. Uh, you know, um, I played uh, in the Netherlands, which isn't really known as a basketball country, for five, five, six years. I started when I was about 12, so I started a little late, I guess you could say, with basketball. Uh, but I played a year in Spain, my last year of, uh, of under 18, like juniors basketball. Uh, and I think that was really valuable. You know, that's, I think they've already accepted the, the positionless game. They accepted it a little earlier than they have over here even. So that was really important for me. You know, guard workouts, I was in there. You know, they weren't just shoving me under the rim. So I really uh, was able to develop that part of my game there. How much did you research the guys that you're going to be playing with this next coming season at BYU? Oh, you know, that was huge. Uh, you know, like my recruitment process took about two and a half, three weeks, something like that. So it was, um, you know, that, that first week was really just spent, you know, making sure I, um, what coaches I liked and what situations I liked. But, you know, as I started narrowing it down, that was that became a huge point for me. Uh, you know, looking at the opportunity, looking at the guys I would be playing with, um, you know, I just saw a team that's ready to, to take the next steps. You know, they, of course, lose a lot of seniors, lose a lot of uh, scoring, but I feel like there's still a lot of guys there, you know, guys who sat out from their transfer, guys who were ready to step up into a bigger role, uh, some quality players coming in. Uh, I really saw a team that was ready to take that next step. So Coach Pope is always recruiting, not just players. He recruits the media. He recruits his fan base. He probably recruits the administrators on campus. I just think he is just always selling his basketball program. And so he told us that one of the things that helped recruit you was – you know, the fan base, the passion, the energy, you know, the feel at those home games. It's not something you can get everywhere. It's not something you can get a lot of places. There's just a handful of schools that really generate that. But then we heard you say, I don't care about all the stuff that a high school kid might care about. I'm going to be there for eight months. So I'm curious how much, you know, did you see tape of the Gonzaga game when they upset, you know, this top-ranked team and bring them down and the place is going nuts? Did you see that? How much did that matter to you? Oh, I mean, it's it's really awesome to see. Uh, you know, of course, my decision became uh, what's the best fit, and you know, uh, BYU didn't didn't even need that. You know, just because it was such a great fit for me. But now that I've committed uh, and seen the amazing fan support, it's such a great you know bonus to it. You know, in the end, that's who you play for. You know, you play um, for the fans to give them a great experience at a game. Uh, you know, to really um, you know wear Brigham Young on your chest with pride. Uh, so it's it was. That's awesome. That's been awesome to see. You know, it didn't really factor into the decision just because BYU was already such a great fit. But now, having seen it, it's just been uh, overwhelming and super positive. So obviously, BYU is a religious school. It's got an honor code. I'm sure you knew all about that. They told you about that. And one of the things that really struck out at me is when you said, "Hey, I'm a 23 year old man." Basically, you know, referencing on the other side, I'm not an 18 year old kid. Uh, do you think that BYU would have been on your radar as an 18-year-old, but you needed that maturity? If not, you needed that maturity to know that this is something that I'm, I'm fine with now because I'm far more mature at 23 than I would have been four or five years ago. Um, I think you could definitely say that. You know, as an 18-year-old, sometimes you don't really realize. But um, basically everything on the other code is there for you to – 
um, as an athlete, be successful. You know, a lot of those things are probably things you shouldn't be doing anyway. I mean, there's a reason for them to be on there, you know. Um, so it's, you know, now as an older guy, I realize that a lot of those things were things that I was talking about uh, here at Purdue, you know, making sure we're doing the right thing. Uh, you know, and there was, it was more of an informal team uh, set of team rules. But, you know, here having to really be a big part of the university like that really shows that uh, there's a commitment to excellence both on and off the court, and that was really important to me. How much do you get recruited by European clubs to say, hey, you've had a good run in college, but, you know, you've lived in Europe, come back to Europe, play in Europe, get paid, be a pro, and don't worry about finishing out the college experience? Uh, Well, you know, that wasn't really in play for me. Uh, Honestly, you know, especially with – um, with the situation over there, how it's going with uh, COVID nineteen, you know, it's 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 just, it's pretty uh, pretty tough over there. I'm hearing from a lot of people that are trying to go over there now uh, that it's really hard. You know, a lot of clubs are folding. Um, just the money's not there right now. So honestly, it was never really it never really came up to me. Um, I just really wanted. You know, I was like, I have one year. Might as well might as well use it, right? You know, everyone always says after college that was. Uh, the quickest four or five years of their life. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't want to miss out and only do three or only do four. You have your sights set on the NBA? Yes, that is, I mean, that is my goal. That is my uh, my end goal. You know, um, it's been my dream since I started playing basketball, uh, you know, being a little kid watching those games. So it's um, it's my goal. And, I mean, another reason I chose BYU is because, you know, Coach Pope, Coach Pope's been there. Uh, you know, he's been through it. He's stuck around in the NBA, uh, and I think he can really teach me how to, how to get there. Matt Harms joining us. He is the uh, new BYU basketball player, transferred from Purdue. So what do you have to add? What specific stuff have you got to get better at so you can play in the NBA? Um, I think, you know, on defense, I got to show my versatility. Uh, I just got to be better in space, especially, you know, guarding those ball screens when they're, when they're on the three point line, uh, guarding a smaller guy, being able to switch occasionally. Uh, I think that's going to be really important for me. And offensively, it's just about expanding my game. You know, I've started to shoot threes, uh, this past year. Um, but it's something that I feel like Coach Pope's shown he's really good at uh, working on with, with guys. You know, he did it with Yoli, that he shot an amazing percentage. Um, so I really trust him to, you know, handle that part of my development. I think, you know, that's, that's what's asked of the, the modern NBA big, you know, shoot a three, protect the rim, and guard a ball screen. I think those are the big three. Uh, for anyone who's trying to stick around in the NBA, you got to be able to do those things. Yeah, that is so true. I think those things, you just nailed it. Uh, you spoke of Yoli. Wasn't a true center uh, stepping out, and he stepped out more as his uh, college career uh, gone on went on. I'm wondering how much did you get some feedback, maybe not necessarily from the kid himself. I'm speaking of Kobe Lee, because he played more of a center, and he did shoot threes in that offense. Is that something that you investigated to know that there's that opportunity there uh, because you saw Kobe do it to an extent last year? Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, my goal is not to be uh, exclusively playing at the five. You know, uh, that was something that Coach Buck really emphasized as well. He was just my versatility, you know, being able to play both the four and the five uh, and, you know, on defense guarding those smaller guys at the four. Um, so uh, I, I would truly believe that I can step up in both those positions. You know, I can play both those positions at a high level. Um, so it was, you know, just seeing both of them being able to step out and uh, not just shoot from there, but play make from there uh, was really important for me to see. 
Coach Pope, when he was talking with the media, said you are a 31% three-point shooter. He thought that you could do much better than that. He didn't put a number on it, but he said you had a pretty smooth stroke. So, you know, there was something to work with there. Can you be a 35%er? Can you be a 40%er? Have you got a number in mind that you know will impress scouts? How much upside is there? Um, well, there's, there's really no number in mind, uh, just because I think there uh, is no limit to it. You know, like the, it's it's going to be dictated by the work I put in. Uh, so it's really up to me. You know, uh, the way Coach Pope said is, you know, like they're going to do everything they can as long as I do everything I can. So if I'm putting the work in every single day and doing whatever I can to improve that number, they'll be there for me every single step of the way. Uh, and then we're going to discover together what you know how just how good I can get. So, Matt, if you're going to play for BYU, you got to hate Utah. How much do you hate the Utes already? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, um, you know, I haven't really uh, – I think I'll start feeling it once I set foot in Provo. But right now, I'm, I've only been slightly feeling it. You know, right now, there's been a lot of just celebrations of, of BYU fans and the BYU mascot. So, I've, I've seen a lot of that. But I haven't really seen the, the rivalry yet. So, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, get a glimpse of that. Hey, YouTube, you might see a couple of feisty games. Ooh, yeah. I might, I might. There's really nothing else to do, so I'll probably uh, do that today. <laughs> I am curious, how much can you work out? Everybody's situation is different as far as access to weights, access to a court, access to, you know, any any of the stuff you would normally have that would help you improve your game. How much do you have now, and how much are you limited right now? Well, um, so I've been in conversations with uh, with our strength coach, you know, about what I can if they can send me potentially some stuff, and it looks like they'll they'll be able to uh, send me some home stuff, just some some resistance bands and that kind of thing, uh, so I can really get to work with uh, the workouts he's sending. Uh, then I'm lucky that there's a a, a track basically right behind my house. So I've been able to do conditioning workouts on there, you know, staying in shape. Uh, just the basketball aspect of it is really limited right now. Uh, I really don't have anything available to me. But, um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's hopefully something that um, I either find somewhere or I, you know, I get out the Pro Voice app. Uh, but that's really the part of it that's limited right now. But in terms of uh, workouts, I've been doing bodyweight workouts and, and running. So that's that's an aspect that's staying up the bar. Take us through your journey, because you said you're from the Netherlands. How did you end up in Indiana at Purdue? Uh, right. So, you know, I, I started in the Netherlands, played there for about five or six years. Uh, then I played in Spain, like I said, for my last year of uh, under-18s. Uh, and then um, I went to Wichita, Kansas. I played in Wichita, Kansas for my senior year of high school. Um, then... I uh, wanted to do a post-grad year because I really wasn't getting recruited that much. And then halfway through my post-grad year, uh, Purdue offered me the opportunity to just come to campus right away and be an early enrollee. Uh, you know, so I just took that opportunity, had a great semester there. Uh, we won a Big Ten title. Uh, so that was kind of the journey, you know, coming from camp. Like, it, you know, I didn't really come directly to Purdue from Europe. I, I met that little uh, one-and-a-half-year pit stopping here in Wichita, Kansas. So I'm curious, when you were playing in the Netherlands growing up, you know, the, the European system can be different. Actually, so can the Australian system. The Jazz have an Australian player who's kind of laid out for us, you know, how it worked. Did you have to leave home and go to an academy when you were 14 or 16 or something? Or were you always at home? How did that work? Uh, well, the Netherlands isn't really that competitive uh, in basketball, sadly. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people doing their best to get it up to that level. But right now, it's really just not there yet. Uh, for me, it was about leaving home at 
17 uh, to go to Spain to play there, you know, playing in the under 18s, you know, just playing as a, as an amateur in the, in the, the junior leagues. But even then, you know, playing for a Spanish club team was already so much of an improvement um, over what I was doing in the Netherlands. But that academy system is starting to kind of pop up, uh, especially in the Netherlands. But Spain really just works under that club system still. How many languages do you speak? Um, just just two. Uh, just Dutch and English. Uh, I really wish I spoke Spanish, but in that one year there, it's never really something that I uh, that I truly picked up. So can you swear at the refs in Dutch and get away with it? Uh, probably not. You can probably hear it. Dutch <laughs> is a very aggressive-sounding language, so even if I said something normal to them, uh, <laughs> then uh, <laughs> it would probably sound quite aggressive. <laughs> All right. I've, I've talked to players who uh, who've gone and played overseas, and see that's always the first thing they learn. There was a uh, there was a guy who went and played in Russia, and he flew in and joined the team, and had to go on a twenty four hour train trip because they, they had some road trip in Siberia. He said, literally mm-hmm. on the train, I learned three words, and none of them were good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Matt, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for hanging out with us and talking a little bit. BYU basketball fans can't wait to see you play. And, of course, uh, part of that is because they can't wait to see you play and part of it because it means, you know, on some level things are getting back to a little bit of normal. So, you know, for all those reasons, I look forward to seeing you out on the court. Thanks a lot for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you so much for having me. Matt Harms, transfer from Purdue, BYU's newest big man. 7'3", and skilled PK, so a way to get all those tall guys on the court at the same time. right? Gavin Baxter doesn't have to play underneath the rim. Matt Harms doesn't have to play underneath the rim. So they have a lot of size out there. But everyone's got to be able to move and, and defend. It'll be interesting to see how all the parts of the puzzle, all the pieces, fit together. Oh, for sure, you know, and that's always one of the intriguing aspects of a basketball team. And obviously, you know, Majerus was a genius at that, uh, getting guys to fit each other and complement one another and who's taking the shots, who's defending, you know, all that type of stuff. Everyone's got to play defense, and you got to play defense individually. you got to play defense as a team. And how do all these things come together? One of the things that I'm looking at with Matt Harms is that his – Freshman year, to, so he played three years at Purdue, right? So he still has uh, the one year of uh, eligibility left. So you look at, and i got the stats in front of me, you look at his three-point percentage as a freshman. Well, it was 14%, and that sucks. And then he bumps, bumps it up to 28%. You know, still not great. Then bumps it up last year to 31%. So there's a little bit of an arc there that he's improving. And here's a kid who's coming in, and, you know, no pun intended, but he's got the mission of trying to be the best basketball player that he could be, right? As tw- he just turned 23 the other day. I think his birthday was the 22nd of April. So his idea is to come in, and he's going to be 100% buying in. Mark Pope can tell him, you need to wear your uniform backwards. And he's going to say, okay, coach. He's going to put it on. He's just going to think, well, Mark Pope played in the NBA, played at Kentucky, won a national title, right? So they, all sorts of credibility. So he's going to buy in to everything that Coach Pope says, and he's going to be about getting as best that he could possibly be. And I think that's some of the th- one of the things that I like. There's no confusion about why he's coming to Provo. You know, and with that in mind, he, the point I'm making is he's going to give you everything that he has. 
I don't know how well he's going to succeed to what level he'll succeed, but to what level, I'm not sure. That remains to be seen. But you know he's going to give you everything that he has to get whatever level that is. You know, is the ceiling the roof? Is it uh, just somewhat above 7-3, a little bit higher? Who uh, that, that remains to be seen. They'll play that out on the floor. But I like the fact that the maturity level and what he's coming here for and the task at hand is something that's going to allow him to succeed at whatever level he's capable of succeeding at. I think the other thing we see Pope dealing with here and, and starting to have some success with is something he had last year. And when you don't have it, both Steve Cleveland and Dave Rose have complained about it, and that is depth. You know, when you only have five or six players on the team, anytime you sit a guy down, your lineup's in trouble. And on, on top of that, you don't have the competition in practice, and guys know they can't be pulled for the mistakes. When you start getting 8, 9, 10, 11 guys who can play, now there's competition. Guys know they have to be focused. They know they can be pulled if they're not giving 100%, if they're making a bunch of mental mistakes. And so as you start to see the depth and you start to see the number of big guys rise, you realize, okay, there's going to be a little competition for playing time. And somebody might be playing 15 minutes and somebody might be playing 27 minutes. If you want more playing time, you really got to be dialed in. So from making practices more competitive to making the uh, attention to detail, you know, at a higher level in the games, having some depth pays off multiple ways. And when you don't have it, we both heard Dave Rose and Steve Cleveland talk about that, and it's a problem. They can't sub during games, and practices aren't as good, and there's, there's a multiplier effect to having depth. Absolutely here, yeah. And the thing about it, he's coming in as a grad transfer. He will play, but nothing is guaranteed. So even though he's coming in as a grad transfer, he's going to have to earn that time out on the floor because this team is going to have a plethora of bigs that are going to be, to a degree, interchangeable. So you're going to to incorporate three bigs into your lineup who've never played for BYU. And but they've all played Division One basketball, right? That that Correct. to me, that's fascinating. I mean, that's something that you. So you have some. This kid has a lot of experience. The other two guys coming over there for UVU, you know, a little bit of experience. And then you got Baxter and Lee, and they they've got some experience too. Now Baxter's year was uh, curtailed because of the injury, but he did play the year before. And Kobe Lee. As Pope called his shot over the summer, he said, you guys are going to be surprised by him. i got to say, I was surprised by Kobe Lee. I did not expect him to contribute as much as he did. Still a lot more to give. So you got those, that's five guys. And how are they going to play? And every one of them has played Division One ball, but three of them have never played together at BYU, and they never played together with the other guys. Well, in practice they have, but not, not in games. So how is it all going to mesh? I find that fascinating. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big T, Thurl Bailey's coming up at 9 o'clock. Rex Chapman with a tweet saying the Jazz are as dirty as the bad boys. They just didn't get labeled the same way the Detroit Pistons did. How much do you believe that? We will get to that next. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I am so sick and tired of seeing social media make this run that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to handle this like a professional and he's going to mistreat Jordan Love and this is a mess that they've caused and this is a wasted pick. No, no, no. They felt like Jordan Love was the quarterback of the future. They felt like it was worth the first round gamble and I agree with them and I think it's going to be handled well. Everybody wants to think a locker room is all warm and fuzzy but it's not for him to go out there and say okay let's get you up to speed and let's do this and this and this and so are you going to go out of your way to help develop this guy to take your job probably not i wouldn't it's up to jordan love to get himself ready to play it's up to the coaches to develop jordan love it's not aaron Rodgers' job hanson scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Fallout from the last dance, all the stuff on the bad boys. Rex Chapman, former NBA player, now dominating Twitter with hilarious videos. But Chapman, going back to the first love basketball and tweeting out, the Jazz were as dirty as the Pistons, but not portrayed as such. Are you buying it? We got it up on Twitter, at David DJ James, at Facebook, DJ and PK. Classless Skip is not buying it. Rex is still mad at Mark Eaton, and he has a hilarious video where Chapman goes baseline and tries to dunk over Eaton, and Eaton never leaves his feet, blocks the shot, catches the ball, and pins it against the backboard. That's funny. It's just jealousy. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I think you could probably say that with Jealousy? the Pistons. You can say that with the Pistons, too. As much as they were dirty and they earned the bad boys, do you think they would have gotten as much run as they did at the time or as much run as they're getting now if they hadn't gone to five straight conference finals, if they hadn't gone to three straight NBA finals, and if they hadn't won two titles? Because my guess on that is no. And that's coming from someone who an hour ago was telling not. you that they are the uh, dirtiest team, dirtiest team I've ever seen. But the winning's got to be a factor in all of this. Oh yeah, if you're not winning, you're just a bunch of loser goons. If you're playing that way, and you're you're a pariah. The fact that they won and they had personality too. Isaiah, like him, hate him, what have you. He has personality. He was more than willing to do interviews. And he was, he had that baby face assassin. And he still has it. He does. He's got to be, what, pushing 60. And he still has it. I got to give the guy credit. The guy always looks like a million bucks, right? Have you ever seen him disheveled? No. It seems like his clothes are the finest looking. He's got a million dollar smile. And it, it doesn't look like he's aged 10 years in 30 years. But he was a killer on the floor. Let's not forget how good he was because he was really good. And then you had Mahorn, who was just a brute. I mean, that, that's what he did. I don't know what his skill level is. Maybe he had a high level of skill, but he never really showed it because he was just ready to Mike Tyson you. And Lambeer had skill. Lambeer was sort of a forerunner with the big man being able to shoot. So, you know, he wasn't a high flyer, and he had this just bleep you attitude at all times, and you had Rodman being a freak as, as he got better. And then you had Dumars, who was more of a statesman, 
and somehow he escaped it. So yeah, you put that together, and that was a fine, fine basketball team. I don't, I, I don't necessarily think they needed to play that style to win, but they chose to, and they were the best at it. But at the same time, you know, I think you're what you're portrayed as, as Chapman says. I think you're portrayed at what you deserve to be portrayed as. And they deserve to be portrayed as the so-called dirty team. Whereas the Jazz, they were more portrayed as hard-nosed, Jerry Sloan type of image. And, you know, I never saw Jerry play basketball, but obviously we've heard about the way he played the game. And he was viewed as a tough guy. And obviously as a coach, he was a tough guy and still a tough guy. But I think you're portrayed, whatever whatever you're portrayed at is what you deserve to be portrayed as. And so I don't think the Jazz were portrayed as a dirty team because they didn't deserve to be portrayed as that. But they were portrayed as somebody who will do everything that they possibly could, maybe even stretch the rules a little bit to win a ball game. Yeah, I don't think they were in as many fights. I don't think they were in as many um, hard takedown fouls. Uh, but th- they definitely heard about, you know, the way they defended and the way they set screens. But to me, that's separate from the bad boys. Really, Pat Riley's Knicks teams were the only teams, I think, that even came close to the bad boys as far as the physical play, the takedown fouls, the number of fights they got in. And it's kind of ironic because Riley complained about it to no end when he was coaching the Lakers because if the Lakers got in a finesse game with the Pistons, they could win. And if they got in a brawl with the Pistons, they might be in trouble. But, man, once he had that New York lineup with Charles Oakley, because you talk about Mahorn, and you got some level of skill to get to the NBA, but Mahorn really was the enforcer type. But, you know, Charles Oakley was the enforcer type too. So, I mean, there, there were a handful of players. and the, the whole league had that tone about it then, but there were a handful of personalities and teams that took it to a higher level. I just don't think Chapman can compare him to the Pistons. If you want to talk about dirty plays, regrettable plays, plays that they wish they had back that don't look good, yeah, the Jazz have them, and a lot of teams of the era do have them. But, man, the Pistons were special. I mean, Rod Thorne isn't going to go on TV and laugh about other clubs and say they didn't care about the rules and the suspensions and the fights and the, and the profile. Who else is as unrepentant as Lane Beer? We read that quote early this morning about the handshaking thing. I mean, he just doesn't care. You know, they had their run. They, they went to the finals three years in a row and won twice and whatever. <laughs> That's basically how he thinks about it. Yeah, well, why would he think anything different? I mean, they decided that they needed to portray. Isaiah is portrayed as a villain. Did Isaiah ever refuse to go in a ball game because he didn't get the opportunity to take the shot? That's the Scottie Pippen story. Pippen is the yeah. sympathetic figure. Yeah, and he's that's a sympathetic fi- figure who you know had uh, multiple uh, health issues with his family and wanted the security of the contract. And then oh, the mighty Bulls were ripping him off and stealing money from him, b- b- the contract that he chose to sign of his own volition. But somehow you know it was up to Kraus. You should have torn that up and given him more money out of the goodness of your heart. And Pippen doesn't go in the game. Heck, what, what Hall of Famer? pouted and didn't go in a game and yet what backlash is there well Lambeer and Mahorn committed hard fouls oh my gosh those guys should be locked up 
come on. It's whatever they want to portray you as in terms of the media, and that that's what you are. What what's the storyline here? What's the agenda? Well, what's the storyline of this last dance spiel. The storyline is clearly the Bulls have five titles. They're going for a sixth. This is nobody else has won six titles in eight years since the Celtics. So the storyline is this is the greatness of the Bulls and the greatness of Jordan. That's the assumption that's baked into everything. That's the assumption, the reason they asked to put the cameras in the locker room and follow the team all year and be on the plane and be on the bus and give us all these behind-the-scenes videos that a lot of other people like to get, but they just don't get to have that kind of access. And so the question is, what would the video, if they had embedded a camera with the Pistons or the Lakers or the Celtics, or with any of the teams that Jordan beat along the way, what if we had some documentary a year with the Jazz or a year with the Suns or a year with the Sonics, the Blazers? What would those look like? Because those would have some assumptions baked into them also, and those teams would be portrayed in a better light. I mean, the Bulls are not being portrayed in a perfect light. Maybe Jordan is getting the most favorable out of all of this. Because we are starting to see stuff on social media like, well, when are they going to get to Jordan and the gambling? There's been about, you know, what, two minutes worth of references to, to golf and gambling. We saw the Super Bowl bet paid off in the plane. We know he golfed with Ainge uh, in between playoff games. So there have been a few references here and there, but they haven't really gotten into the conspiracy theory meat of it that uh, some people want to hear. Nor are they going to. I mean, I haven't seen the next six hours, but I'm assuming they're not going to. And I think you're assuming the same thing. Yes, and then the commissioner told Mike, right before they walked on stage, you're not playing for you. I'm not going to see that. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> now that would be awesome. Yeah. That would Even be. Even in this documentary series. It, it, you're basically getting truth as they want to present truth. But are you getting the entire truth? you getting the whole truth that you swear on the Bible in court? Yeah, probably not. Well, truth, maybe, truth is an evasive thing. It, it's maybe, what they want to present. Maybe Scotty Burrell's getting truth. <laughs> Jordan lit him up pretty good. And I don't know how much of that was truth and how much of that is Jordan piling on for My mom cameras. and dad are going to be watching this. Don't, don't say that. Hey, mom and dad, Scotty's an alcoholic. <laughs> like, holy cow. Jeez. Scott's Scott's probably texting MJ right now. Yeah, and thanks for that. Well, I wouldn't have even remembered that Scott Burrell was on that team, to tell you the truth, unless that was the moment that that we saw on the thing the other night there. So he's getting his little revisited of 15 minutes. And how much of this is, is it's a big deal because of the circumstances of no real competition right now. It's a, yeah. If this would have been as planned, yeah. what were they planning, a summer release? Would we have glossed over it? Because I've now watched about four hours, and I've seen maybe maybe 10 minutes of stuff that I didn't know or I could view as entertaining in terms of, well, that was new. But watching Isaiah and Lambeer walk off the floor without handshake, I have seen that a hundred times. And now I got to, and I know Lambeer was not repented. He wasn't repented then. He wasn't repented 10 years ago. He wasn't repented 15 years ago. So now all of a sudden he's going to be repentant? No. He's got a BA attitude and he's had it forever. 
I, I have more respect for Bill Lambeer today than I did back then. How did he get that growing up in TV? Because he's got an edge that you're not supposed to get. I mean, if you don't know L.A., Palos Verdes, that's a rich neighborhood. That whole Rolling Hills PV thing. And yet, here comes, uh, here comes Lambeer, and he has got an edge to him. And you're right, not only he, has he never been repentant, you want to you put you want to bet with Jordan on who's going to be repentant in 10 years? Yeah, I'll take not Bill Lambeer. Yeah, well, I, I don't think Jordan is either, yeah. Uh, Palos Verdes is uh, as west as you can get on the Palos Verdes Peninsula, Palos Verdes High School. They closed it down for a good while. I think it's open again now. But uh, it's a bluff views. I mean, right down the... If you've ever seen anything, they've had some... Well, we all go to Google Maps and uh, put in PD High. They used to have three of them up there, and, and they got down to one, but I think you're right. I think they're back to two schools now because I got a couple of uh, college friends who grew up in that area and know the whole history. Uh, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Stay with us. Big T, Thurl Bailey coming up at 9 o'clock. We'll run this Rex Chapman quote past him, and I'm sure we'll get a reaction out of Thurl. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, and we're joined now by David Weissman from Subway. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. So, David, are you a Subway yeah. lifer, basically? You are, uh, you've, had, <laughs> you've worn multiple hats for Subway over the years, right? That is correct. Yes, sir. I am a lifer. I love this brand, and I love our franchise owners. What all have you done? Well, my wife and I uh, own 10 uh, Subway restaurants in Montana. We have been Subway franchise owners for about uh, 20 years now. A little bit old, over, actually, which makes me old, by the way. Hmm. And uh, and uh, just this last year, we moved here to Salt Lake City, and some partners and I bought the uh, Subway development office for the Utah northeastern Nevada and western Wyoming territory. So we work between Subway Corporate and our franchise owners here in the 235 restaurants that are locally owned and operated in our territory, which is really fun. All right, so I guess the first question is uh, precautions you've taken to protect the staff and and protect customers. Everything's changing in, in the retail and food industry. What have you done? 
Oh, yeah, it really has been uh, changing in, a, in kind of a dramatic fashion. But we want to keep our team safe and we want to keep our guests safe. So we have uh, gone the extra mile. And, you know, Subway's always been kind of cutting edge when it comes down to uh, food safety. Hourly temps and things were put into place long before all this. We were always the leader in hand washing, as you're aware. So all those things have stayed the same. Uh, now we're in addition to that, we're sticking on top of all of the CDC guidelines and also local health department guidelines. We have uh, staked out the every one of our locations inside of it. Uh, we not only keep our, our numbers of guests in the restaurants to the uh, requ- the allowed limits, depending on what area you're in, uh, but we've also marked on the floor where it is safe to stand. Um, some of the restaurants have added uh, plexiglass between uh, the guest and the and the uh, uh, sandwich artist behind the counter at the cash register. Uh, we have sanitizing stations for our, our guests as well as for ourselves. Uh, we have this amazing thorough cleaning and sanitizing uh, checklist that we do uh, a minimum of hourly within the restaurants. And uh, and then, of course, there's all these different ways you can order from us in, in a safe manner. Um, we have uh, the old-fashioned pick-up-the-telephone-give-us-a-call kind of way. Uh, we also have uh, ordering online, which is sort of becoming a little bit old-fashioned too these days because the app has taken over, which we also have. So you can do that and have an actual contactless transaction with us at any one of our locations. Um, many of the locations have uh, drive throughs that you can use and do your ordering through that or even just pick up if you didn't order online or through the app or on the phone. Um, and some people, some of our locations are actually doing curbside delivery and ordering now. So you don't even have to get out of your car and come in the, uh, in the restaurant, which is, uh, another added benefit of, uh, working with, uh, Subway. That's how we're looking out for you. So how do people find out the Subway, uh, near work or near their house or whatever? How do they find out if they're on the cutting edge here with the, uh, delivery and that kind of stuff? Well, oh, speaking of delivery, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually glazed over that. We, I, I believe the good majority of our restaurants here, and, and not every one of them, but I think it's pretty close to over 90%, are, are offering uh, delivery through our third-party uh, delivery partners like Grubhub and, and uh, DoorDash and Uber Eats and I think Postmates, too. Um, the good news is, is that if you go on and order uh, through one of those avenues, it doesn't matter how close you are to it. It'll, it'll automatically figure you out because your phone talks to the system and it'll get to the one closest to you and we'll get the one that will get it to you the quickest. So what about grocery delivery? Because we're starting to hear that some restaurants are doing this. And I don't know if you realize this, but on a sports talk station, there's a few guys who like bread and meat and cheese and lettuce and tomato and, you know, mustard. <laughs> How many people are offering that? Uh, yeah, uh, we are. <laughs> We've got, we don't have a lot of restaurants on the program yet, but we do have more interest in it every day. We've got about eight of them here in the metro area that are on the program. Uh, offering the uh, the uh, grocery, which is pretty cool. All you have to do is go to subwaygrocery.com. Um, and again, if you have the GPS on in your device, whether it's your laptop or whatever, it'll bring up the closest three within that 50-mile uh, mile radius, 50-mile-an-hour radius. <laughs> That'd be fast grocery delivery. Um, but anyway, within that radius, and, and uh, everything is pretty much available. We do have breads to bring that up. We do have the mustards and the specialty sauces. If there's a sauce that that Subway has that you love. A lot of people love that Southwestern Chipotle sauce. Uh, you can actually buy that uh, through these these outlets that are offering it. Um, and they do, you know, snack trays and meat and cheese trays and sandwich trays. And uh, it's pretty it's pretty neat. It's an innovative way to uh, make sure that we're taking care of our customers. I'm an oil and vinegar and uh, pepper guy. That's what I'm going to hit right there. You know what? Uh, you and I are on the same page there. Yeah. 
heavy on the mustard. Well, David, yeah. uh, thanks for spending a couple minutes and uh, joining us. And uh, so the the app, the phone, and the website, you got your choice, right? You do. Yeah, absolutely. We're there for you. And if you don't mind, I really want to make sure that I, you know, everybody's in this together. And I want to make sure that we thank from everybody in the Subway family, all of the first responders, healthcare workers, and all of the essential frontline workers, including our Subway sandwich artists. Uh, you guys have kept us in a, in a bit of normalcy throughout this unusual situation that we're in. So thank you to you all. David Weissman, Subway, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks, David. Hey, thank you.